Welcome to Naming It, y'all. This is uh, Naming It Real Talk. We're uh, here doing um, an interview with Dr. Maria Sharon Del Rio from uh, all the way in from Brooklyn College um, in the City University of New York. She's an associate professor. Um, and she also coordinates the school counseling and grad program. Can you say hello real quick, Dr. Sharon Del Rio? Hello, everybody. Thank you for the invitation. I'm very, very happy to be here. All right. All right. So um, this is Real Talk. So if y'all, we haven't done a Real Talk in a while. So just to like put everybody on in case you haven't gone back into the the, the stacks, into the books, as uh, Dr. Hill would say. And um checked out our earlier episodes but a real talk episode is a little bit shorter a little bit more focused than our normal episodes um it's an interview and we really just want to hear the voice of the person that we're talking to so with that said i'm gonna go ahead and start us off and just ask you know um i gave a quick intro but um dr Sharon Del Rio can should should I call you Dr. Del Rio or Dr. Sharon Del Rio or should I call you Maria what what should the listeners call you um whichever but if you're going to use my whole my last name is Sharon Del Rio so you can right. just you know yes I'm sorry I'm sorry I did that uh no I, no that's I, fine it's a it's a common question it's part of having a hyphenated name which yes it's um, it's not usually hyphenated it's just in Puerto Rico we use both our father and mother's last name and you know, it helps. I, I carry that. <laughs> oh, no, of course. Of course. No, I, I knew that. I was just stuttering uh, because okay. <laughs> I have speech problems sometimes, uh, as as the folks who listen know. Uh, but like that, I, I definitely feel you. And um, with the name, uh, I have a British name and uh, I'm a black dude. And so people like to give me all kinds of extra stuff. So I'm, I'm not going to take away anything because I don't like when people give me extra. Uh, <laughs> so. Let me, can, could you tell us a little bit more about, you know, who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am Puerto Rican, born and raised in Puerto Rico. Um, I did all my graduate work, my undergraduate and graduate at the University of Puerto Rico, Rio Piedras. Um, I often say I'm, I must be the only Puerto Rican that has no family in New York, but I live in New York City currently. Um, so my family in New York is my chosen family. Um, and I have been living now here um, for a little over 13 years, um, 13 years um, in, in first in Boston where I did my um, internship, my clinical internship as um, clinical psychologist. And um, then in New York, which is the place that I wanted to be. Um, so I left Puerto Rico. Um, at the time, because I, I am also queer and I'm uh, gender queer, so I really wanted to find community uh, where I could, and the person that was then um, my partner, um, would be comfortable just being out. And that was not the place that Puerto Rico was for me back then. And I have stayed here in New York because it is the center of what I want to do. I mean, I, I'm, I have the opportunity to be able to... Um, work with all kinds of populations that are marginalized oppressed and you know I really involved in social justice at the interaction so you know I um uh, the queer community in New York City you know is you know uh, vibrant is visible um and so as you know the um 
you know, people of color, queer community in particular. Um, and also, you know, feel very strongly, you know, towards um, just fighting for and advocating for um, disparities that occur both in terms of education, also in terms of health and mental health with our communities, immigrants and also just marginalized, you know, communities. So for me, New York was the place where I, I wanted to be, even though my heart um, is and also will always be partly in Puerto Rico. All right. So it sounds like you, you know, you made this journey and um, you, you were, like you said, you're looking for a community and you, you know, you found yourself in, in, in New York. Um, but like that, that part of you, that piece of home is, is, is definitely, um, is always there and, and, and always going to be somewhere in the front, right? Yes. Yes, definitely. Certainly. Okay. So if, can you tell us, um, you know, it, you told us about your background and kind of how you identify and gave us some some understandings of the intersections in your life. I'm wondering if you can bring in some of the things that you do as like a as a professor and um, as a psychologist and and just like what what's what what's your work like? So I am a counselor educator um, by a profession, um, which is uh, not a lot of clinical psychologists end up being counselor educators. Um, interestingly, in Puerto Rico, uh, when I was doing my doctoral degree, um, you really, if you wanted to be able to um, both, you know, intervene, you know, one-on-one or in groups in a clinical way, but also um, uh, work, you know, in education and do, you know, a PhD, a lot of people just do a clinical psych. Um, and the approach in Puerto Rico for graduate program was so more along the lines of, you know, counseling psychology, I had the opportunity to have great mentors, um, uh, Guillermo Bernal, um, uh, Jose Toro, um, Edwin Fernandez, who uh, really from very young, you know, had a very clear sense of social justice and also um, a very critical perspective in terms of, you know, the ways that clinical psychology has pathologized uh, marginalized people and people of color. So mm-hmm. um, my approach you know, have always been what here in the United States is considered more counseling, um, it, it, while also having you know the the clinical piece and the clinical background too. So, so I um, have been now for eleven years uh, teaching, and for the past seven years um, directing the school counseling program at Brooklyn College. And our mission is one uh, that we seek to, and we are we are mission driven program, and we seek to prepare counselors, you know, that are multicultural competent, that um, uh, whose social justice is, you know, very much at the forefront of, you know, their way of embracing and looking at clients, you know, and that are prepared to teach in an urban environment, you know, with where many of the intersections of marginalizations and oppressions, you know, are, you know, um, are everyday life. So, um, it is, you know, one of the things that I am very driven by, just also preparing uh, mental health providers, whether school counselors, uh, school psychologists, but also uh, teachers and educators, anyone that's going to work with our youth and in our schools, so that they're able to understand their locations and how they are perceived and also the privileges that they have and how they can use it, you know, to be able to advocate for those that, you know, don't have the same uh, opportunities in terms of voicing it, you know, which certainly uh, speaks to all youth and uh, to all children, and particularly those you know that are marginalized. So, I teach um, 
various courses, but you know, definitely at the forefront of everything is also multicultural counseling perspective. Um, and I, um, so my teaching, my scholarship, you know, my advocacy is so interconnected. And for me, you know, the important species to create is to engage, you know, the people that are striving to be counselors, psychologists or teachers, you know, in the self-reflection that we need to have in order to locate ourselves and really understand what we know and what we don't know about um, oppression and about uh, other people's experiences. So that then I want my students to do is to be able to recognize, you know, and look and their locations in the systems of oppression that society continues to perpetuate, you know, even within schools so that they can be advocates and they can be changing the systems for, you know, the betterment of all our communities. Well, that makes sense. I, you know, I, um, it's funny because the way that you use teacher educator, uh, or excuse me, counselor educator is, uh, it, it was a new term for me when I got my, my position as a, um, professor at St. Mary's college, um, of California. We also, it's also a master's, uh, it's a master's program for counselors. And so we do uh, masters in marriage and family therapy, um, uh, professional clinical counselors, school counselors, um, college of career services, and uh, uh, educational psych um, as well. And so, as a counseling psychologist, I didn't really have a, a, a good understanding of of what a counseling educator was, or that there was this other kind of stream of thought or this other discipline that was, you know, parallel in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's just like, where are you putting the emphasis at? But it's the same, pretty much the same skills. Um, and I don't know that a lot of the students coming up really understand that there's a lot of different options that they can take in order to, to get into the helping profession and to, to, to kind of do inquiry into, into the mind and into people and into social justice. So it's really cool to, to hear about kind of your journey and, and, and how you, you came to be um, where you are and do what you do. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah it was a, a new concept for me too. Um, yeah. And one that I certainly embrace because it's, you know, part of what drives me is to be able to um, change. It's, I see it as another way of intervention, right? So, in order for us to to be competent um, and ethical providers, you know, we really have to work on ourselves um, mm -hmm. and understand, you know, and, and get to know and, and realize, you know, that there are things that we don't know that we don't know and work on those um, and understand the, the, the systemic aspects of uh, the you know, the background, you know, that that our clients are facing, right? And that uh, it is, you know, in that moment of us, you know, being able to become more aware ourselves that we develop our awareness, our knowledge and skills, that that is also an intervention. So if we are going to become mental health providers, you know, and advocates, you know, we have, we are start changing ourselves, right? And as we change ourselves, you know, at, in the hopes of being able to eventually help to change the system and also help our clients change. Right? Um, the beauty of this is, you know, that people around us are also going to change, right? Because, right? you know, from a system perspective, just the fact that I'm changing, you know, my outlook in life, that I am more aware of myself is also going to have ripple effects, you know, in my important connections now. So 
Right. As I shifted, you know, and, and most of what I'm doing right now, which has to do with counselor education, you know, it for me, it is certainly a more systemic way of intervention um, that, you know, when, you know, done, you know, from an anti-oppressive perspective, you know, it's also a way of social change. Right. So let me ask you this, because um, you, you're talking about social ch- change. You brought up um, issues of social justice um, throughout uh, our conversation. And, you know, one of the reasons that we were connected was to talk about the ongoing um, recovery effort and um, and the that's going on in, in Puerto Rico and like kind of the relationship that the U.S. has to its own citizens in this in this colonized um, space. And I'm wondering just, you know, what's what's the intersection between kind of your work and 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 these efforts and and, you know, just how are you connected and how, how and what do you think about that? Well, I'm certainly personally connected because, you know, all of my family is there um, and um, also a lot of my peers that graduated with me are there. And so there is a personal connection uh, to you know, and it's my home. Um, and at this moment, right, I'm part of, unfortunately, being part of the diaspora and not necessarily being able to physically be there to help with the reconstruction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ways in which, you know, I am trying to use my voice um, is certainly to um, get, you know, this topic uh, to be talked about more, whether it is, you know, within social media uh, in my institution, you know, with the people around me. Um, because there is one of the things that as a social justice advocate I do is often, right, I talk about, you know, the hidden uh, truths or I talked about the invisible curriculum, right, or the curriculum that people usually don't have um, about, you know, the the world. And there are so many things that people are not aware of in terms of, you know, the situation of Puerto Rico and, you know, what uh, the political relation to Puerto Rico has to, you know, how is that, you know, with the United States and how that impacts the well-being of, you know, Puerto Ricans on the island and Puerto Ricans also in the diaspora, not only in times of crisis, but, you know, overall. Right. So just, you know, getting to voice you know, what it's often not talked about, right? And just also creating spaces, you know, for this to be seen and to be, to be talked about uh, these topics, you know, it's part of, at this moment, I believe, you know, advocacy. Um, and, um, and of course, you know, talking about the potential impact in terms of, you know, mental health, not only for the Puerto Ricans that are presently there, but also for the diaspora, um, which is, you know, also some of the interviews that I've also done, you know, in the past couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, I think that as uh, counselors, as psychologists, you know, counselor educators, you know, part of what we need to do is ground our practice, right, in context and in the present. And this moment, you know, it, it's very important that we use this moment to be able to bring about a change um, and in a change that hopefully, you know, will bring about healing, you know, in, in this process of recovery, you know, from this uh, disaster. Right. So it's a different take than what is usually heard on TV and, um, and, and, you know, in interviews, like where folks are, are, are primarily focused on infrastructure and, um, you know, like 
the physical part of, of this recovery, but there's definitely like a, a, a mental toll that all this takes, right? Yes. I mean, and, and, and the mental toll, which is both immediate in terms of, you know, um, having to be now, uh, you know, for over three weeks and even more for others, because when Irma went through earlier, uh, a lot of people didn't recover power after, you know, Irma left. So there's people that have already been without electricity for over a month. Um, the, you know, many people that are still without uh, water and potable water. Um, many people that are still have not been able to get connected to their loved ones because uh, also cell towers, you know, fell. There's there's a lot of, of trauma. There's a lot of, you know, um, both impact immediate trauma, but also uh, low level chronic stressors for those who's, who are safe, you know, and that have, you know, a home, but are still going through, you know, many of this um uh, stresses in everyday life, not knowing if, you know, when they're going to be able to have a hot meal, not knowing when um, and if, you know, what the water that they're drinking, if it's going to last, all these things certainly have, you know, an impact. Uh, but also the impact of, you know, hearing the discourses that are being talked about in the island also has, you know, an even, you know, greater impact. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that part of the discourse that has been heard more on the mainstream, right, is, you know, um, led, you know, often by uh, the current president is as if, you know, Puerto Ricans, you know, are just, you know, passively waiting for things to be given to them. You know, that is just very hard because it's a place that is far away and we couldn't see this coming. Um, that is taking a lot of money, um, that Puerto Ricans are already consuming a lot of resources. Um, and all of these pieces are very far from the truth, but they're actually the tone of the discourse is very much analogous with the tone of, you know, characterizing people that are colonized. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, when we look at, you know, people that have been talking about, you know, the psychology of the colonized, between Franz Fanon and Albert Memmi, among many others, and more recent others, mm-hmm. um, uh, the process of othering that has to occur for colonization to happen, right, is, you know, that there has to be a split um, in the mind of the colonizer that then has to be uh, taught, you know, in terms of the ideology to the colonized so that the colonized is able to assume its role as, you know, uh, being colonized. And the split in the mind of the colonizer is, you know, that um, it's one, you know, of, you know, very traditional concept of splitting, right? So mm-hmm. all the positive characteristics, you know, that we value in society are those that are embodied by um, the colonizer and the colonizer culture. Um, and it, the colonized people, you know, which, you know, are othered in this process, are thought to embody all the other qualities, you know, that are the negative versions, right? Or, you know, the antithesis of mm-hmm. the colonized. Mm-hmm. So while, you know, Americans, you know, the U.S., you know, citizens or think of themselves, you know, are, you know, just, you know, very much, you know, work ethic, etc. So, you know, those that we are colonized um, or that have received the impacts of colonialism are thought to be lazy, are thought to be greedy, are thought to be ungrateful. Um, and the topic and the level and the tone of discourse, you know, is one that, you know, is very similar to also how people 
you know, black people are talking in terms of, you know, their uh, slavery or the advances or lack of advances, you know. So this tone and this othering, right, it's not by accident, right? This is, you know, very, very much uh, a classical and traditional imperialist ideology. Right. So this this idea that Puerto Ricans are just sweating is actually not true. And one of the things that has happened um, uh, and that happened immediately, you know, after uh, the hurricane passed, when, you know, the people were trying to get in touch with their loved ones and it was clear, you know, that, communi- you know, the communications were down, people mobilized over social media and there were at least two main Facebook groups that then, transform into Facebook pages uh, where people were talking about whichever bits and pieces of information they could gather, you know, um, you know, they were putting this on these pages, you know, also when people wanted information, when people were looking for the loved ones. Um, And a lot of what's happened, a lot of the cleanup, it's being led by communities, you know, the communities themselves. Uh, So it's neighbors helping neighbors, you know, it's, you know, people that, whose houses survive and being able to take in, you know, the uh, neighbors and their loved ones. Um, it's, you know, people who are doing better going and uh, volunteering for other communities that they know are not doing as well. And these things are not necessarily seen. So before, you know, the National Guard, before, you know, the Army, uh, the Corps, the Marines, you know, the people that are currently now on the island even got there. Mm-hmm. This reconstruction was already happening. Because no, we're not waiting for anything. Right. However, um, you know this is not necessarily what it seems. So, um, the uh, the tone, right? That you know the island suddenly becomes a burden, right? Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, um, it's going to take away from the budget. It's also uh, not true. Mm-hmm. Puerto Ricans, you know, pay taxes you know and right. uh, they not only you know they pay state taxes and we are not bound to pay federal taxes but most people end up paying federal taxes and um so these services that fema is providing are services that puerto ricans have already paid for right. um so and all of this conversation and you know the racist overtones you know of some of this you know pieces the condescension, you know, that even the president um, had, you know, while being there, you know, with just throwing out paper towels, you know, to a crowd. Um, all these pieces also are impacting, you know, the morale of Puerto Ricans. Um, as, you know, at this moment, instead of doing what, you know, people have done, for example, for uh, those that uh, lost their houses and experienced flooding in Harvey or in Florida with Irma, you know, that they feel embraced by the rest of the U.S. as, you know, we're here, we're for you, you're one of us. The conversation around restructuring uh, Puerto Rico, rebuilding Puerto Rico, all this conversation is still one of othering. It's not necessarily one of solidarity for the, you know, in the bigger political sense. And it's a big contrast with what has been seen, you know, in other uh, smaller avenues, um, so, you know, their international help, you know, that has come through, um, the private donations. So, you know, for right. that, you know, for whatever reason, the government, uh, the federal government said that it was hard to get things to Puerto Rico. Uh, but, you know, um, New York's government Cuomo was there, um, basically almost the next day, uh, with already, 
in airplanes and supplies and people helping. Um, it, there's a lot of important Puerto Ricans, including Ricky Martin, including Daddy Yankee, uh, that have already been to the island several times. Right. They have been to the island several times, have brought in things privately with their own money and with, you know, gathering, you know, resources. So it is not necessarily true some of the things that are being said, you know, particularly that are coming from the federal government as it pertains to Puerto Rico. They have not necessarily been very transparent, which has then, you know, in an island that is currently feeling uh, the impact, right, of uh, a major hurricane that has, you know, in terms of morale, right, in, in terms of not being able to have control over the things that happen where you're going to get uh, your the power back, when you're going to get, you know, water back. So a lot of things you can't control, which can bring a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. This commentary and this tone that is coming from the federal government has also an impact, you know, on the morale of Puerto Ricans as they feel um, disenfranchised, even more disenfranchised from, you know, um, the U.S., you know, um, that just sees them as someone that is um, foreign, even though domestic. Right. So when we, um, I think it's it's important to kind of to 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 really accentuate this idea of like how folks get alienated, right? Like mm-hmm. we. Um, and I, I liked how you connected it to the experience of black people in the United States, like this idea that it's really colonialism and apartheid or Jim Crow are pretty much the same side or the same coin, just two different sides. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. the same type of tactic. It's just a matter of whether you're doing it domestically or whether you're doing it abroad. Um, and you can see how they're doing that, how the media is complicit, how politicians, um, how people just assume, like, I mean, how ridiculous is it to to believe that uh, a people, that any people would just sit down and wait for help? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, that doesn't make sense. If this is your home and your home is destroyed, you start fixing your home immediately. You know, mm-hmm. you come out as soon as it's safe, you're picking stuff up, you're putting things away, you're trying to organize your neighbors, you're pulling people out of stuff, you're trying mm-hmm. to save folks. And then somehow, you know, some folks from FEMA or whatever, and they're they're good folks doing good stuff, but like they have to come in and organize with you, you know, like that. It, it, the fact that they pretend like that doesn't happen, um, I mean, it's like you said, it's it's just it it shows the racism, it shows the colonialism, and um, yeah, it has it must have really deep psychic impacts. Um, let me ask you this. Let me let me ask you another question, if that's OK. Um, yes. So with all this stuff that's going on, with all the the, the negativity um, and neglect and and the the I don't know, just the the tax on the character of folks. Um, do you have any suggestions for how people might take care of themselves Um Either if they're if someone is listening to us on the island right now, or if someone is uh, at home trying to kind of work out how to to take care of their family, or if you're just like you know trying to be an ally and you're you're trying to help folks who you know are part of that community. Well, I think you know for folks that are you know on the island, if you know they're listening in, um, I think that what 
I know that it's been happening on different scales, um, you know, which is people just getting back together to community, right? So at this moment when, you know, things are, tend to make us feel alienated, right? The, the, the counter to that is to look for connection. Um, and, um, that connection, you know, can be to people, you know, that we love, but also to people, you know, that are experiencing this with us. So, to resist, uh, you know, to resist the the idea of just um, that we are um, alone, right? You know, in the suffering of this, which is something that can be triggered by um, people that already have, you know, uh, the risk of, you know, depression that have histories of depression, right? This idea, right, of that we're suffering alone, uh, that can have uh, many things, you know, that that make it possible for us to 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 believe this is true in our lives right to resist that and to really seek to connect you know to right now there's a lot of people that are looking for ways to help um and you know just looking for people that may have you know some ability to connect to outside of their communities uh, there's people that want uh to come in and it is through you know the local connections that things are working better um, and I think, you know, that part of it is, you know, when we're talking about hopelessness and we're talking about helplessness, right, just engaging, you know, in small tasks, right, the, do counter that as well. So like you were mentioning before, right, um, whenever it's possible and, you know, with hopefully, you know, proper um, safety. Uh, so, for example, wearing gloves, if possible, wearing masks, if possible, because there's also been now um, an outbreak in leptospirosis, which is, you know, the... Um, uh, an illness that comes, you know, from being in contact with uh, urine from uh, rats and uh, mm. mice. Mm. Um, and this, you know, so people are working, are doing things, and they're coming into contact, you know, with this and are getting sick. So, so making sure that you protect yourself, but also that, yes, that you stay active whenever possible. And we do feel better when we help those that are uh, less... Uh, likely to be helped, right? So mm-hmm. uh, checking in with, you know, uh, families with children, checking in, you know, with, you know, the elderly. And, right. you know, if you yourself, you know, as a family with children, you don't have a lot of mobility, um, just being open to, you know, just reaching out and, you know, and, you know, and asking and contacting, you know, with others. And if you know of an elderly person in your community that you haven't seen, just, you know, reach out and look for them. Right. Um so, you know, I think that staying connected, uh, visibly connected, is, you know, the the main thing. And at this point, because power is still off and connectivity is not, it is, we're talking about old-fashioned connection here. We're talking about, you know, um, uh, you know, screaming and, you know, and hollering at the neighbor to see if they're there. We're talking about, you know, it just, you know, if Part of what people are doing is they're barbecuing a lot because, again, there's no power, right? So uh, barbecuing on the street, you know, instead of, you know, in your yard so that, you know, there's people that are around. It's just, you know, the connection that happens, you know, when people get together. Right. Um, so it's not like a not, it's not like a Snapchat moment. It's not a it's not a swiping left or swiping right. You need to get out and have human connection. Yes. And that's and that's what's been happening. So there's not. People don't necessarily have where to charge their phones, you know, if it's not, you know, in the car. And people also don't necessarily have gas, you know, to be able to charge their phones in the car at times. So this old-fashioned, you know, 
old-fashioned connection is what's you know and happening for a lot of people and if you are someone that it's um in diaspora that is out of you know puerto rico and are looking to connect and to you know to your loved ones there uh there's uh, still you know um hurricane maria updates is a puerto rican uh based uh puerto rican diaspora link um, that has, you know, a lot of people just post whenever they are wondering about how to access services or how to access their loved ones. Um, if, you know, people, and it's one of the things that, you know, we also are doing a lot here, just posting requirements, uh, requests of people, just posting requests of people. Um, if, you know, they need something so specific and there is a diaspora that is as connected to, you know, the island as, you know, we possibly can. Hmm. And I have seen through, you know, this uh, social media connections, you know, people be able to, you know, find, you know, which were in their area are there, you know, giving out diabetic uh, medications and insulin and were in their area, right. you know, there's someone that may have access to uh, antibiotics, you know, where in their area is, you know, there's some ice because, you know, many of these medications also have to be on ice. Right. Um, um, people that have suddenly lost contact with family, you know, this is how, this is how it's happened. So I think, you know, just, um, being able to communicate as, as we can with people, uh, to connect with others, um, and for us in diaspora also to, we, you know, a lot of this actually means that we are probably a little bit much more online, um, than, uh, we should, so we need to also be deliberate. And that's part of the advocacy that is happening now. So we need to also then be deliberate in taking those breaks as well. And also going back to all passion connect, uh, connection, right. um, uh, particularly if we can't hear of our loved ones. So right. um, there is something, you know, that is very satisfying. And again, I think a lot of the advocacy and the connections are happening online. That is great. But, you know, in order for us to remain to sustain ourselves and to take care of ourselves and, and to keep this, you know, practice as a sustainable one, we have to then touch base with our chosen families, with our friends, with our loved one here, and also have one-to-one contacts um, uh, so that we are able to get that nurture and that, that really mostly happens with, you know, you know, one-to-one contacts, um, particularly when we're feeling, you know, disconnected, you know, from loved ones. So. Right. So let me ask you, uh, as we're um, running short on time, but I want to ask you about um, we have a lot of folks out there, a lot of namers who want to kind of get out and, and learn how to be more active in their community, learn how to be more of a, a, a effective ally or social advocate. Um, we have students who listen. I'm wondering if you can offer any kind of practical tips or takeaway messages uh, to the folks out there who who might be aspiring to do the type of work that you do. So for those that want to be more engaged, you know, to uh, advocate, uh, to be good allies uh, or to get moving in terms of doing some changes or contributing something, um, you know, I think there's there's a few things. First of all, going back to community-based organizations and getting in touch with community-based organizations. Um, it's uh, great, both in terms of if you want to give time, if you want to offer uh, service, if you want to donate money. So looking at Puerto Rican community-based organizations that are going to you know, 
help that are already doing good work in Puerto Rico and will be able to streamline, you know, that uh, money and those efforts and the, you know, voluntary work, uh, it's it will be very important, right? So though there are some, like Taller Salud, uh, for example, um, it's a great organization that does a lot of different work around uh, health in a holistic way. So connecting to the community into community initiatives, you know, it's, you know, key. Um, and getting to know what is happening, not only through the traditional um, official history uh, books, right? So I would say, you know, that part of, you know, part of being able to understand, to feel, you know, that we are being understood as people that, you know, particularly allies, you know, that do take the time to get to know more, you know, from uh, the communities that they want to help um, and uh, that go beyond, you know, what we are taught in schools in terms of, you know, general interaction, which we know is, it's uh, woefully inadequate in terms of, you know, oppression. Um, I think that right now a lot of, you know, organization, you know, happens online. So as a first step, just also finding uh, groups uh, online uh, or pages online, I think, you know, finding that uh, community is good. And then part of it is showing up, um, you know, for a lot of things, just showing up, um, you know, will, you know, help uh, catapult, you know, the work that needs to be done. I think that a lot, a lot of times, you know, when something like this big happens, um, right, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, it can trigger in us is just a, a feeling of being too overwhelmed and who am I to just do something or my contribution is not going to be enough. So being aware of that, you know, that can be paralyzing and then countering that with things that seem small, um, I think go a long way. And, you know, at the time, you don't necessarily have to know exactly what is it that you'll end up doing, but connecting to, you know, people or connecting to organizations that uh, interest you, right? And then seeing, you know, what is it that they need, you know, will trigger that. So just that first step of, you know, reaching out and doing that connection, reaching out and showing up for that um, uh, march, for that demonstration, or, you know, going there and showing up for, you know, that collection. Um, and then say, you know what, I would like to help a bit more. That's also all that it takes um, to create, you know, a, a big impact and to um, to get you involved. Wow. So just showing up, getting out there, being involved and, and paying attention. So, you know, I, I really want to thank you for um, coming and, 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 and deciding to, to share your thoughts with us. Um, uh, I know that your time is really valuable. And, um, yeah, we just, uh, the Naming It community, uh, I think, really benefited today uh, from your, your expertise and your experience. And um, I just wanted to, to thank you. Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate the invitation. It has been a great opportunity, um, and I'm really happy uh, to have been able to have this time and to have this conversation with you. Thank you for making it easy. Oh, you know, you're uh, you're a rock star. We really appreciate you. So, um, all right. So that's our Real Talk episode, uh, Real Talk on Puerto Rico, and um, with Dr. Maria Sharon Del Rio. And uh, for more information on naming it, uh, you know, check out our website, www.namingitpodcast.com. Uh, you can find me at Dr. B.F. Palmer 
on Twitter. Uh, where can we find you at? That's a good question. Um, my so you can contact me at my email, just um, Maria RS at Brooklyn.cuny.edu. M A R I R S at Brooklyn.cuny.edu. If you want to also check, you know, the Brooklyn College Multicultural Counseling class page on Facebook, uh, it is a page where, you know, we post news and current events and articles, you know, that have to do with uh, the different ways in which oppression um, impacts, you know, us and impacts, you know, many of our communities. And um, also a place where we uh, post things, you know, that help us with our advocacy um so uh, feel free to give it a like and thanks again for the opportunity thank you again and uh all right y'all that's it um keep naming it peace for more information check out our website namingitpodcast.com Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Blog Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Naming It Podcast.